0: In 2005, I got my first real professional comic book gig, my first real opportunity to become a professional comic book artist. It ended up being called Seven Pirates. This is an unofficial sequel to Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island. It's also part of a series of seven other books that were based on the motif of the Seven Samurai due to come out in 2007. The book actually sold pretty well, and the series it was part of, the Seven series, actually sold pretty well as well. They actually ended up doing another series of seven books later on. This was the culmination of a dream of mine to work in French comics that was started by me reading Tintin and Asterix very early. Early on, Almost learning to read through reading Tintin, but this was an impossible task. I am Australian, as no doubt my accent will let tell, and I do not speak French, I did not speak French, and I had no idea how to make this happen. This is going to be the story of how that actually did happen, though, and I'm going to walk you through the process for how I actually got my first job as a professional comic book artist. <music> Visual Scholar Podcast. My name is Tim McBurney. I've been a professional working artist for over 20 years and on this show we're all about demystifying the worlds of art, creativity and productivity so that you can get better faster and enjoy your artistic journey. People often ask me this story. People often ask me how I got to work in French comics As I said, this seemed like an impossible task at the time, almost to the degree to where I didn't really even plan this. I put very little effort into trying to make this happen. It's just one of those kind of magical things. People often ask me, you know, what I had to do. Do I learn French? You know, did I travel over there? So I really want to unpack this and, again, talk about how this particular job happened because I think, again, it really might, you know, give you some insight into how often these types of jobs are achieved and some of the differences between the French um, publishing systems and the Western sort of superhero publishing systems. I grew up reading Tintin and Asterix, these French, Franco-Belgian comics, and I really liked the storytelling style, the laid back, a little bit more sort of zoomed out, just focusing on story. I felt that they were very professionally drawn. I just really liked the vibe they had and... I noticed that often, you know, they had these creative teams that persisted, right? You know, Asterix was for so long written and drawn by the same creative team. It had such a strong creative voice. Likewise, Tintin, you know, was created by Auger. And, you know, it has this kind of real vibe that, you know, is super important. And I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be an artist, but I also really liked coloring and I learned to digitally color things very early on. So, you know, I was kind of Being in the Western comic book market, because Australia is very much part of the English-speaking comic book market, you know, there wasn't a lot of opportunities to do that, because the Western superhero market operates in most cases on a production line. There are pencilers, inkers, writers, colorists, letterers, and I kind of wanted to do it all. But that's a real hard ask, and this seemed like it was really impossible. But I just liked the French storytelling style. I liked the way of life that I kind of romantically imagined that would exist if I was to draw French comics. I don't know. I think there is a palpable romance there with both the French culture and the French artistic expression. And that was very important to me. And again, my experiences, you know, that kind of lived out to be true, right? There is a lot of truth in the romance when it comes to, again, French life and French creative expression. So before I got this job, I was basically in the ether. I was surfing the waves of nothingness. I had dropped out of, you know, really any strong possibility that I would get a job as a video game artist in Australia. And I covered my first job and my experience in video games in a previous episode And, you know, after I sort of got let go from that job, I was trying to really find myself and figure out what I wanted to do artistically. I was working on my portfolio. I was playing far too many video games and not really putting it all together. But nevertheless, I was on forums back in the day, posting my art, talking to people, trying to network, trying to set stuff up, trying to, you know, figure out how this thing worked, build my foundation. And, you know, I was, uh, you know, sort of getting my name out there. People knew who I was to a certain degree. The artistic community back in the early 2000s was very small online. And, again, I was doing the best that I could. I think that actually one of the ways that I sort of got this job is that I had done an interview. So I did an interview based on a concept art blog and... You know, I had my work out there. It was easy to kind of see the different sort of bits and pieces that I was doing. But, you know, I certainly had no real sort of presence as a professional comic book artist. I tried to do a variety of things. I tried to become a professional comic book colorist a few times. I'd, you know, made a few inroads here and there to doing some things. But again, it was very hard to kind of put it together. The best way I could describe that time before I sort of got published was that Again, I didn't have a strong direction. It sounds really cliche, but that's the best way of putting it. I didn't really have a solid pathway that I knew would work. So everything was a little bit aimless. A big part of what I was doing, though, was getting approached by other, what I would call sort of amateur writers or writers who were just also trying to, you know, get their name out there and, you know, build their craft. And I was working with a variety of people and, you know, over maybe sort of two to three, maybe four years, I was constantly dealing with the potentiality of maybe working on something soon. I was dealing with uh, other writers. We were trying to get pictures together. I was doing pages. But none, none of it was really working out. Let's see. I was really struggling with this style concept, which I'm sure everyone can relate to. I was trying to find my style, find what would make me unique. And, you know, it wasn't really always gelling. I worked with some writers who were probably a little bit too amateur and we never really got to the point where we created something that was a pitch. You know, that was always the goal. Make a pitch, you know, pitch it to someone, um, pitch it to image comics or something similar, try and create some pages and samples. That was kind of the world I was living in. But again, I feel like I was probably in the wrong milieu. And I think this is really important to understand that One of the biggest challenges you have as an artist when you're just starting out is that there's a whole bunch of people around you and there were a whole bunch of people around me and it was really hard for me to tell which ones were real and which ones were not. There's typically two types of people who are aspiring artists and creatives. There's people who actually want to do it and do it and there's people who kind of want to talk about doing it. And often people just kind of want buddies and friends to kind of talk about maybe doing something big one day and they kind of work on it. But there's often never that commitment or understanding of what it actually takes to create the thing. And I think that was a big challenge that I was running up into. I was trying to get stuff off the ground, but again, it was really challenging to find someone to work with at the time. But I probably had, I would say, and this is important context, the reason I kind of cover it is I probably had done two or three kind of pitches at that time where I'd kind of worked with a writer and we tried to get a series of pages together that were kind of working. I'd done a whole bunch of character designs for a few different projects and they kind of just hadn't really gone anywhere at all. And um, again, that's important to note because it'll flow into, you know, again, some of the problems that I had when I actually started working on this book. So people often ask the question. The question people are actually sort of asking is like, how did I get in contact with a French publisher? How did this happen? How, how did I manage to make this happen? And I remember this thing like it was yesterday. I had been working with actually another sort of European writer and, and we've been trying to get this project off the ground. And I thought this was a really good sort of window into this opportunity, right? Cause I, I already knew someone who potentially could, um, you know, bridge that gap, the language barrier, um, and sort of have contacts within the French industry. But that project really turned sour really quickly at the end, um, And we sort of didn't really agree on, you know, how the pages were looking. Um, Again, you know, a lot of that was my fault. I was not really at a good professional level. And I was trying to do a bunch of stuff that probably wasn't me really committing to the project. The the bottom line was I was really struggling to put enough detail into the pages. And I've talked about this uh, quite a bit. One of the main, you know, things I often talk about is how important secondary form is from an artistic craft perspective. And I really lacked that at the time. The pages were vague. I really wasn't able to kind of figure out how to get the detail I needed in there. And again, you know, I was struggling with how long should these pages take? All these questions, right? Basically, having a problem to solve, and I I wasn't really solving it that well. I wasn't kind of figuring out how I fit into this, how I would be unique, and you know, that wasn't sort of inspiring. So. I remember really clearly that, you know, this project was on the rocks and it was not going anywhere. And, you know, I was just very frustrated. And it was literally, I remember sitting in a room and I was talking to my father about this stuff. And I was kind of saying like, you know, I just need to like, you know, wait and, you know, get a a proper person to work with. And literally at that point in time, I got a new email and the new email was David Chevelle saying, hey, I'm a new French uh, publisher and publisher there is editor so he was a newly sort of appointed editor at Del and he had been a writer for I think quite a long time almost um at that point in time I feel like you know he'd been he'd done like 20 books or, or more he was a very very accomplished writer and he was just starting to be an editor and he had this idea for this set the seven books of seven and he sort of pitched me this idea and I remember saying like this is what I need. And this email, it literally popped into my life, into a conversation in the most ridiculously magical way. And again, you know, looking back on it, these things are just weird. But everyone always asks, like, how did you do it? And I'm like, I have no freaking idea. This French guy, David Chavelle, who was an accomplished writer um, and an editor, just picked me out of the blue and said, hey, Tim, do you want to work on this French book? And I said, hell yeah. Now, One of the things I'm often talking about when it comes to generalized career advice, as much as I can give out career advice, because I feel like... My career has been fairly chaotic. I do know a lot of creative professionals who work in, you know, film and games. And, you know, they did this thing where they went to study at Art Center and then they got a job very soon after. And then they've just been working forever. And their job, their their sort of career path is just a matter of like, I moved from this company to this company to this company, and then I went freelance, and then I made my own company or something like that. You know, it seems very linear to me from the outside. My career path seems completely chaotic. And I feel uniquely, um, unqualified for giving any sort of linear advice. So the way I like to do this again is just to kind of share the experience, right? Because it is sort of chaotic, but the way I kind of rationalize a lot of these things, as I've often said, is to think about it as opportunity, right? We need to prepare ourselves for the opportunity, make sure we try and position ourselves for a good opportunity. And then when it comes, you need to jump on it right and ride that wave and see where it goes and this was I think the first time you know I really saw that kind of happen where I saw that you know I was kind of putting things out into the world I wasn't really in control of this but nevertheless you know this opportunity came my way and the good thing is that even though I feel like my skills were not really where they should have been and that's something that again I'll sort of dive into in a little bit I feel like I'd known enough of seeing other emails that come through and other opportunities that come through and working with people where I felt like we weren't actually progressing. As I said, there are people who like to talk about being comic book writers and talk about being comic book artists, and then there are people who actually do it. And there's a distinct difference in the way these people sound, the way the email sounds. And I could kind of, I'd gotten to the point through many failures of being able to see that this email was real, that this was a real opportunity. And that was very exciting, but it was very obvious that this was a real deal and this was a real publisher and this was a really, really good opportunity. And that's why, again, I really put all of my focus and energy into it immediately. As I said, this was a book project that was part of a series, a series of seven other books, all with the motif of the Seven Samurai. These were going to come out in 2007. It was kind of a high concept idea. And because of this, there was a deadline, obviously. It was 2007. And the actual sort of way that I got to create these books was, or my specific book here, was quite unique. There were a variety of other artists. And I think part of the reason that I actually got this job and, you know, got approached here was that there were other sort of foreign artists as well. Um, you know, sort of Western artists such as, uh, Francis Manipal, who, you know, has a great YouTube channel. I recommend you check out his YouTube channel as well. Um, one of the best sort of filmed, um, you know, YouTube channels, I think out there, just super amazing. And he's someone that I, you know, was looking up to for a long time as a comic book artist. I remember being on forums with him very, very early on, although we'd never really talked at all. But, um, you know, he was a really, you know, sort of high-end artist at that time. And I remember he was doing one of these books. Uh, Sean Phillips, um, I think, did the Seven Psychos um, sort of book. And, again, we're all sort of working on this project, right? And just to explain the concept, it was – about sort of taking different genres. So there was, you know, seven psychopaths, there was seven warriors, there was a fantasy one, um, you know, there was sort of a Yakuza, sort of, you know, crime one. And again, different genres, but using the um, sort of filmic uh, story motif and, and and formula from the seven samurai that, you know, you can see easily transplanted into the magnificent seven, etc. Well, this is where you have a group of people, sort of joining together to complete some impossible task. And it's often like a caper. So, you know, in the seven samurai, it's the seven samurai who uh, sort of hide to protect a village, right? And, you know, it doesn't necessarily go so well in the end for everyone. And that's kind of part of the story. So it was kind of a high concept idea. And I was doing a pirate book. Now, I think part of the reason I got this job was not just because I was like also someone who was going to add variety to, you know, the different projects and different looks, but because I'd had both a few interviews that had been published on blogs where I'd kind of said, hey, I'm working on comics. I like French comics. And I'd kind of expressed that and made that clear. And I think that another artist that the editor David Chevelle, Had been working with, I think, was Enrico Fernandez, who was another amazing, amazing talent. He had done an interview, I think, on a similar blog. So there was obviously places that people who are looking for talent would go, and you know, sort of search out. And I think I just kind of happened to fall within that net. And I had quite a bit of pirate art at the time, where I'd kind of shown me drawing pirates, but. The thing is, Seven Pirates is an unofficial sequel to Treasure Island. So it uses the same characters that are there, like uh, Jim Hawkins. And, you know, it it really is kind of a bit more of like a powdered wig story than a pirate story. So, you know, pirate stories are often set, you know, in the golden age of piracy, um, which I think is kind of, uh, I forget exactly the time, but it's kind of, you know, late 1700s. Um, and, you know, this is the age of sail. It's a very particular time. And sure, there are pirates, right, which is the motif I was interested in, which is, you know, people jumping around on ships fighting each other with swords. But most of the actual stories um, are about, you know, people talking and people who were talking or wearing these powdered wigs and, you know, these kind of sitting in very boring English taverns. And I think that was like a visual aesthetic that, was a bit of a challenge to kind of really get my head around. So I I knew I could kind of do the swashbuckling pirate. I didn't know whether I could do the backdrop to that, which I think we really needed to do, because that was the majority of the book was people talking in, you know, old English buildings um, with powdered wigs on. And, you know, it was tricky to really make that work. So that was like the first thing that was the first real hurdle is kind of trying to Take the brief of what this book was and really fit it to my style. And as I said, that wasn't necessarily smooth sailing. As I said, I really struggled to put my skill onto the page. And it's worth mentioning these things because there's a number of different aspects to how I felt I really struggled to do well on these initial page tests. So I was kind of given a test page and I was given five days to do it because that's how long. We kind of need to create work in order to be viable in the French comic book industry. You kind of need to create 46 pages a year. That was kind of the schedule for this. Again, it had a deadline. And, you know, I knew I needed to create a really good page within that time. Now, the writer on this book is Pascal Berthaud, who had written a few books previously. And he was, you know, again, an accomplished writer. But, you know, very much working within the French uh, sort of genre, the number of panels per page were, you know, quite high. And one of the things I really struggled with was just the size, the size and scale of the pages that I was working with, figuring out how to actually physically draw them, scan them in, get them colored. I think there were a lot of challenges there. A lot of what I'd heard the, you know, sort of older French artists would do is they'd be drawing on really big, pages and, um, you know, often to the point where they kind of cut it in half so that it would actually fit on the drawing board. There are a lot of really physical, practical things here. Another wrinkle to this is that I was given a storyboard to work from that was a good interpretation to show me, oh, this is how a French style would interpret the story. Um, So I was given the script and a storyboard by a really sort of talented artist, Jérôme who had previously worked with David Chevelle, who was the editor. So these guys are a creative team. They've been working together for ages. They obviously know each other. And I think David just basically said, like, look, can you do some storyboards for this? Because this artist, Tim McBurney, is probably not going to know what he's doing, right? He's going to be lost. So this was like a way, again, to kind of hedge the bets and get my style to kind of fit the French Narrative, let's say, because again, there's a lot of stylistic things there, and also that kind of set the scale of the characters, the size of these things. And this whole process kind of really threw me for a loop. I think it was very much needed because my ability to storyboard some of these things I, I could sense that that's not what they wanted, and I could sense that when I was trying to storyboard it, that was kind of gonna make us waste a lot of time because what they wanted to do was to sort of say, Hey, look, can I produce a page that has the right feel? And uh, that would be used to basically get the contract signed. Maybe there would be an opportunity to figure out, look, how does this all work later? But I needed to prove that I could create a page, that it would look good, and I needed to have a system that would make sure that the storyboard would feel like a French comic and would match the script. Because it is very tricky if you're not used to that that panel count on a page to really make it work. There's a lot of tricks they use. Um, in terms of, you know, compressing some information, sort of decompressing others. And writers who have been, you know, thinking about creating uh, Bond Destiny, like, you know, uh, the, the BD style of comic, um, are really thinking about how to compress a lot of story into, you, you know, like a fairly small amount of pages. So there's a whole bunch of stuff there that you, you kind of don't notice until you really start digging in and trying to work in that particular format. And The real thing, and this is something I say all the time is like, you know, it's so important to practice comics because what happened to me is as I just was starting to like, okay, I've got to draw this thing on this page and I just ran into major issues. Like I'm just not used to drawing at this scale, at this size. I'm not used to trying to get that amount of detail into a page, into a panel. And, you know, I would just have different stylistic things that I would do. The fundamental difference that's often really obvious is just the storytelling style. And that is, you know, I was used to, you know, thinking about my art a little bit more like the Western superhero style. It's about kinetic energy, creating these dynamic layouts. A lot of the French, you know, style, or you you could say like the baseline traditional French style is to have a lot more detail. I was creating, you know, these scenes with pirate ships, um, you know, looking at, uh, you know, European towns and cities and that kind of thing. And if you look at how that's normally handled, people are creating these beautiful illustrated sort of environment shots out of that and making this art out of that stuff. And, you know, as someone coming from the Western tradition, that's not really what we do. It's typically like big characters kind of fighting each other. And that's where the dynamic visual sort of, you know, excitement happens. So. A very big challenge there in terms of just like figuring out like okay how do I how do I do this how do I sort of get that happening and just the size of the page, um, all of these things were a major challenge. So the first test page that I did ran into significant problems. Another major thing that was a problem was just my ability to get contrast into the page, the style that I had, I think probably wasn't fully optimized for print at the time. And it was something that was kind of noted. And this is also a real challenge when you go from working with your compositions and your way that you might get contrast into a scene and then contrast that pun intended, with someone else's way of sort of creating an image. So the ways that people make stuff look good is very different. And working with someone else's storyboard and layout meant that I couldn't use a lot of the tricks that I was normally using with my style to create interest. And yeah, it was a challenge. Basically, the feedback was this page is not detailed enough and it does not have enough contrast. I would say the bottom line is my style really wasn't working. This is something that I'd been trying to get working. And I kinda had these ideas of mixing painterly looks with line work and my basic process again, if you wanna sort of actually get into the nitty gritty of it, it was that I was kind of creating a drawing um, traditionally. And what I was doing is sort of scanning that in and it was a little bit sketchy. And what I did is I was actually using Coral Painter at the time, I think if uh, if I'm not mistaken. And I would sort of create a painterly kind of color pass on that. That was a little bit sort of toned down and I was really trying to get like a lot of looseness with those brush strokes, make it sort of expressive. Again, I didn't really have the foundation to be able to do this properly now that I look back at it but that's kind of what I was doing. And then what I do, is like once that base was there, I'd sort of actually add lines over the top, almost do my inking pass over the top of these baseline colors and then I'd be picking out highlights and I had this kind of plan for how it was all going to work and it just didn't work. That's the problem. It just was a complete like a little bit of a fail um i wasn't able to really get it working and properly convince people with these initial pages and again if you look at the you know i might actually do a follow-up on the drawing codex channel where i kind of show some of these things because it makes it a little bit more easy to understand but the the bottom line is the style i kind of had imagined just kind of wasn't working and so i had to think fast but This process of getting from, okay, yes, like let's go do this to you have a signed contract, you are actually doing this book, it's due on this date. um, That took like quite a few months and many, many test pages. Problem here, as I'm always talking about, is that I had wanted to draw comics, I had played around, I had put my toe in the water. I'd done a lot of stuff, but I hadn't really put all the pieces together enough and really proven to myself that I could get a nice detailed page out the other end. So all the pieces were kind of there. But when it came to that opportunity, and this is where easily this opportunity could have been lost if it wasn't for people, you know, kind of being on my side and really sort of working with me through this. But, you know, I wasn't really able to put it all together. And I think this is such a dangerous point. And it's why I'm always recommending people, no, no, if you want to draw comics, if you want to do something, go do it. Because that, that way when you get the opportunity, you'll be able to prove that you can do it and it'll actually kind of work out. And I think that's it's actually problems I've had even recently trying to get sort of comic book projects off the ground where, again, you know, I have an idea for how I want it to go. But, you know, the art style and the thing that people are wanting is just a little bit different to what I'm actually imagining. And because I haven't done a whole book and I can't prove like, hey, no, no, this idea I've got is going to work. And I haven't worked out the kinks myself in that style, in that process, which often, look, it doesn't take that long, but it does take a while. That, uh, yeah, you know, I just didn't really have it there. So, again, this was a really sort of touch and go point in time. I had to do, I think four or five different test pages at the time. And, you know, the first one was kind of okay. The second one was like, oh, it's like good, but it's not actually better. And then I did another one and it like, "Eh, still wasn't that good. And I think it was, um, then I finally did one that was kind of a pirate page. It actually had pirates in it. And I think that's where they kind of saw that like, okay, Maybe the sort of powdered wig side of this story is maybe not gonna be the best, but at least I could kind of handle the swashback links, buckling side. And I think in that um, particular image, the painterly style I had, which by the end of the book, if you look, I completely abandoned, um, but the painterly style was kind of working on those pages. And I think eventually um, they just kind of gave it to me, right? Um, everyone kind of signed on to make it work. And uh, eventually, you know, I did get the contract. And this is where... I really think it's important to, you know, note some of the differences that I've experienced anyway. And again, just looking from the outside, working with a lot of these sort of French editors and publishers, you know, I was working with David Chevelle, and he is a writer who's worked for a long time. And, you know, he's someone who would have come up and known a lot of these process things. His advice and, you know, his tutoring was invaluable. You know, he knew a lot about the process of creating comics on a very granular level. Like his feedback was super practical, always on point. And he had a real feeling for the artistic journey that I think is so valuable. And I think it really speaks to the way that the French publishing system, especially with comics, works, or at least worked for me at that time, where you really had you know, they're like an editor slash publisher, um, who was looking for talent and not just looking for talent, but kind of keen to engage with new talent and keen to kind of show them how it was done. That was kind of part of the process. And I guess the, the goal there, if I'm to sort of, you know, assure him is that, you know, the idea is that that builds a strong relationship and, you know, finding that talent, developing that talent, you know, if that, if those, if a few of those people go on to become big names, then again, you built those relationships because it's very easy in the French market for artists and creators to swap between publishers because there's so many different publishers and they're all competing. So it means that kind of, you know, the personal relationships are actually really important, but I do think that it's very interesting to me to see the difference there where it really does feel like in the Western superhero market or, you know, the Western independent market, it's very much on the shoulders of the sort of people creating it to go seek stuff out, right? And, you know, apply and keep sort of nagging these big publishers for things. And I've sort of seen this other way of doing things work out quite well where, again, the French system is a little bit more about, you know, people going out trying to find talent, like find people who are creating comics, you know, and, and, you know, get, I've, I've seen David Chevelle take, you know, someone's comic that they were kind of working with and say like, Hey, do you want to get this published? And then work with that person to try and get it created because, again, they believe, he believes in the creative vision of that artist. And just that whole idea is very alien. Um, but again, it did speak to me very deeply about, uh, again, the romanticism of the, the French system and the French approach to art and that whole sort of side of things was very good. And again, I really owe a lot to that particular situation and having someone, In David, who believed in my art style and saw something there, and for whatever reason wanted me to be a part of that project and really kind of fought for me to be there. Um, and again, it's sort of really interesting how that happened, right? But it's very difficult to, you know, replicate that, right? I was in a very specific position. And again, the opportunity was there. And, you know, if someone had been maybe sort of more harsh, um, you know, maybe I, I just would have done that first test page. And that would have been it, right? It would have failed and they would have gone and found someone else. Part of the way that I rationalize this, although I've never specifically asked David this, is that I kind of envision him as as on a meta level, building his own set of seven. And I feel like I was probably the kind of Ketsushiro, um, the novice, right, who um, isn't very good and really doesn't belong in that team. I wasn't a professional already. I think everyone else was already a professional comic book artist. There were big names, there were veterans. And I feel like I was kind of fitting into that set of seven, as the kind of the rookie who didn't really know what was going to happen. And I was going to maybe have a character arc that, um, again, went from complete incompetence to, you know, who knows what, right. Um, but yeah, you know, that's the way I rationalize it because it's very hard for me to understand why someone would put that amount of effort, um, into helping someone out, uh, based on other experiences I've had. And again, you know, it really speaks to, as I said, Um, I think a good culture within that comic book industry that, you know, again, you know, has drawn me to it um, time and time again. And it's a reason why I think, um, you know, there's still really, really good work being produced in that industry. At least that's my maybe overly romantic um, view of kind of, you know, how these things happen. Who knows? Eventually, as I said, I did get this contract. And I convinced whoever needed to be convinced that I could do it. Part of that was also me agreeing that, look, there would be a full storyboard created uh, by Jerome Laculie, who is a very talented um, artist and, you know, really knew how to sort of turn this script into a storyboard. And I would kind of work from that. So there was a lot of sort of, you know, interesting things that happened here. It was a very specific deal very specific way of making it. Um, but who knows? I mean, maybe I got the job because they were just running out of time, right? They had a deadline. Um, it's very hard to say sort of, you know, exactly what happened. Maybe, you know, again, there wasn't many other options for for people. Maybe they would have gotten someone else if they could, I just don't know, Um, but either way, in the end, it kind of all worked out all right. And the book came out in two thousand and seven. Maybe not exactly on time, but kind of close to being on time. When I flew to France in two thousand and seven, and lived a dream that quite frankly I had had for a long time to be a professional comic book artist, especially a French, Franco-Belgian comic book artist and to, you know, fly to France and live the romantic Parisian lifestyle and do the dedication and do all those things. And, you know, in most cases it kind of actually lived up to that dream. It was pretty good. It was quite really inspiring and, and super exciting for me to do that at the time. And, you know, I think the book has actually gone on to sell quite well, relatively speaking. And I think it cemented David's position as a new sort of editor slash publisher, someone who could have this high concept idea and, you know, take it to, you know, its conclusion. I think they ended up doing a second series of these seven books with seven other Um, You know, artists and writers based around the same Seven Samurai motif. I don't think it came out in 2007, but nevertheless, I think, uh, again, it was overall a success and it was an amazing, amazing journey. And that really is where it ended. For my first book, for my first project, what followed next is probably the st- a story for another video. Let me know if you want me to to tell that one. You know, next I went on to create my own creator-owned fantasy comic that, again, had you know a similar chaotic um, existence. You know, it didn't necessarily end that well, but was a great experience and I learned a lot. What I want to do now, again, is talk about some of the takeaways that maybe, you know, we can share and I can sort of think about, you know, both that I took from that experience and things that, uh, again, I think are really important that, you know, maybe you can employ if you're looking to get your first job in comics. Firstly, I'm always keen to talk about the analytical takeaway, the thinking version of what is happening here. I think firstly... It's just important to appreciate that comics are hard. Doing these things is a massive challenge and, you know, getting the job was just half the battle. It's a matter of putting together a a huge variety of different skills. There's style, there's expression, there's storytelling, there's a lot of craft. You kind of have to just draw a lot of stuff. And this book really taught me to draw, to, you know, figure out how to actually employ my craft it really is the thing that took me out of that amateur kind of semi-professional state and made me a professional artist. I just had to learn on my feet. And again, one of the things I did is I changed the style as I went. If you look at the first page on the last page, they're very, very different in terms of style. And I figured out a lot of things, a lot of things that I use and teach today are based on that experience. But bottom line is that comics are really hard. It's a massive challenge, but it's definitely worth it. And it's also worth reiterating that the opportunity side of how these things happen is crazy. There's so many ways this could have gone bad, and in many ways it kind of did go bad. It's really hard to quantify why this happened, how it happened in the particular way, and how I met you know the people that I worked with on this. And, you know, it's, um, you know, crazy to think what my life would have been like if I didn't have that opportunity, because the entire French sort of ethos to... Publishing and creating um, is very interesting, and especially um, David Chevelle. I'm a very, I'm a huge fan of his kind of like general sort of uh, commitment to the artistic vision and and you know the reality of that. I think one of the best things about working in comics is that everyone who is working in there is super passionate about comics and they either love comics, or they made comics, and I think that, you know, you don't get a lot of fluff. Everyone there is very serious about their craft, and coming from a Western superhero kind of, you know, being on forums with people who are trying to get into comics and speaking English is very much about, you know, superheroes. And I had very little interest in that and going to to France and talking to, to French authors. And, you know, I, I got to meet a few of the other, you know, French, um, Italian, um, you know, people who are working on different books in the seven series. And again, it's a very, very different attitude towards art and comics and lifestyle and the maturity that, you know, these people have in terms of, you know, just how they behave was very different to the sort of, you know, typical sort of entertainment design um, style of artist, right, or sort of Western superhero comics. People are writing comics about real things. Um, You know, I always say, you know, you can have any kind of genre you want in a French comic book and it's appreciated when I talk about the fact that I'm a comic book artist here in Australia, it's kind of like a dirty little secret, right? Um, You know, no one really understands what I do. Whenever I say that, uh, you know, I I draw comics, um, I remember going to Paris for my honeymoon and we stayed at uh, an Airbnb in Paris. And the lady who owned the Airbnb, I think was like an editor at a magazine or something. Um, You know, this was a really sort of fancy Airbnb apartment. And, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of, you know, I I drew French comics, you know, and this is what I did. And and she was just like, oh, yes, amazing. You know, here is my French comics. Right. And, you know, that is the experience of, you know, working in an industry like that is it's completely different. And it changed my entire attitude towards every freaking thing, because, again, I saw what is possible with this medium. That again, people would respect it. Um, everyone kind of knew what you were doing. Not everyone reads comics, um, you know. And again, you know the type of comics that people who are you know editors for magazines would would read. Are, you know, not superhero style action things. You know, they're very much about politics or history such a wide variety of things of independent comics about concepts, emotions, there's art house comics, there's erotic comics, there's like, there are blockbuster, you know, action comics. Um, you know, there's things about romance, emotions, it's such a a more nuanced industry. Um, and again, I really sort of took that to heart and again, it changed my entire view of what is possible with comics. So anyway, and I also think that the, The approach that I saw and I got to be a part of where an editor and a publisher was really going after talent and trying to find people who had something interesting that they thought to say and then work with them to build and develop that talent is I think a skill that is really missing in many cases from the Western superhero comic book market. Um, It's very – it's not really about like developing people's vision and their storytelling style and trying to create these books. It's kind of a little bit more mechanistic and transactional. Um, And again, I just see that in many cases – What you see is like a lack of voice in the Western, you know, sort of comic book market because everyone's coming from the same superhero soup of, um, you know, style and direction. And every now and then, you know, someone breaks out of it. But there's not this thing where the people with, again, unique voices are enabled to create content, enabled to create these stories that are very specific to them. So. Anyway, I could go on about this stuff for quite a while. But uh, yeah, that whole like idea really, really changed every single thing, I think, about comics. And it's stuff that, again, looking from the outside, you can kind of sense because there's a wide variety of different types of comics. But again, nothing compares to actually being able to see the differences between those cultural paradigms. There's a lot of people probably in French comics, and I think now – it's a lot more challenging to get published. Uh, still, there's like even more – the competition is really intense. There's just so many more books. Um, it's even harder to get noticed, right? So it, it's it's easy to see that, you know, maybe people who are French and living that uh, – the franco belgian comic lifestyle might be jaded about the things they do have in their industry. Um, but for me, coming and being able to see both um, I think is the best because you, you really get to appreciate – what is good and special about those particular industries and the cultures that they have bred and I think the good things that come out of that. If we look at a simple bro way to say all this, I think the number one thing is just to put your work out there. I think that's ultimately what got me my job in this instance and to actually practice your craft. Don't talk about it. I knew deep down that again, there was these people who just kind of talk about making comics. And that was a bad idea. But you know, the reality is, I was probably doing too much of that myself. And really, the core here is to practice your craft, because that means not only will you be able to get better at it, you'll get better at expressing yourself through your craft before you get the constraints of a particular project come on board that kind of pushes you one way or another. But also, if you do get the opportunity, I think it'll be a lot easier for you to take advantage of it because often I think what editors are after is just someone to draw a book they need to create these things and the more that you can actually do it without needing your hand held like I did the more likely someone is going to be to work with you right that's sort of the definition of what professional means so the more you practice your craft I think the easier everything is going to be That wasn't quite such a short sort of bro level thing. But anyway, hopefully you get the idea. If we look at some really simple sort of actionable takeaways, right? What can you actually do? I'd say the number one thing that I think really helped me was to try and spot the difference between people who are for real and people who, again, just want to talk about making comics and i think this is such a weird thing and i apologize for sort of throwing shade on people who are you know maybe not there yet um it's very hard to know again where you are when you're doing it i was doing a lot of that stuff early on but again the real test is like are you actually producing these things are you making the book the thing that i really find is everyone who's working in comics knows how hard it is to make a comic of any kind if you make a comic of any kind, I think it instantly gives you a lot of respect. And, you know, when I see people, even if they have something and it's really poorly drawn or it's not written that well, I know that thing took a huge amount of effort to create. And that was created by someone who was passionate over a long time about this art form. And it instantly opens doors. We instantly have, like, you know, something to talk about, Um The thing that I think is really important to avoid is, again, the talking about it, people talking about the projects they're going to make, the the comic books they're going to draw, whatever. Um, That's something I think we all do at some point. But it's really important to move past that because I think that is like a good tipping point. And as soon as I sort of became able to tell the difference from a career standpoint, talking about getting that first gig between the people who are just going to talk about it and they'd send me an email, hey, I want to do this thing versus someone who's like, hey, I want to do this thing. And again, it was very clear to me that the opportunity I was given here was a real one, even though I had no idea what Editions Delcor was about. I'd never sort of heard of this publisher. I didn't know how big they were. I had no idea who this person was. Um, Just the way they sounded was very palpably real to me. Looking back, if you want some super practical advice, this is by no means authoritative, but the two things that I found were really obvious were that people were who were for real would send you a script very early on, right? Here's the script. It's been written. Check it out. The script would have an end. You would be able to tell, you'd be able to read it and appreciate that person's storytelling. You can tell whether or not that's a good story and whether it's worth you spending, you know, years and years of your freaking life drawing it. The other thing that is really interesting and kind of, again, a little bit meta, but I found that the more real and professional um, people who are approaching me were, um, the sooner they would talk about money and be able to describe how I would actually get paid. Um, it's very easy for people to kind of, you know, do that, oh, you know, you'll get credit um, or we're putting together a pitch and, you know, I've got lots of people interested and blah, blah, blah. Um yeah, you know, I, I found it very surprised the degree to which people who are very professional would talk about the money really early on, either in the first email um, or just sort of describe exactly how this thing's going to work. they have a plan for how this thing is going to get published, um, what is going to happen. And again, that's part of the initial pitch because they are pitching to other people who are probably going to say no unless, you know, someone's talking about money or, you know, how this is actually going to work. It's very challenging to draw one of these big comics um, for a year or more um, without you know spending full time on it and you know if you're spending full time on it then you need to get paid so again super you know in the weeds i do apologize but i found those two things are like really really good tells right it's like how soon can someone just concisely talk about how are we're going make money enough to you know for the artist to sit down for a year and draw it um yeah and also they'll actually tell you what the story's about how it ends, why it's good, and that'll be compelling and uh, interesting because, again, a lot of good writers should be good storytellers and they should be able to communicate that stuff pretty well in text. If we think about lastly from a spiritual perspective, like what can we take away from this? I think thinking about getting your first job, your first gig, important to understand that every generation's opportunity and the things that are available are not. The way these things work is completely different, right? When I was reading about people getting their first job in comics in the 70s, um, you know, the way that it happened to me was completely different, right? Because the internet existed and I could put my work out there. You know, all the stories I'd heard before were, you know, it's physically people going to conventions because you need to physically meet an editor and show them your work. That doesn't seem to be quite as important. But, you know, again, maybe it will be in the future. Who knows? Um, You really have to look at what's working right now for the people, you know, around you and look at people who have just recently got their shot and, you know, see what's working for them. But either way, I think it's important to understand that, you know, with comics like this, this was a dream of mine. And it's very much worth trying to pursue your dreams, even if there's not any clear way for how it's going to work out. I've worked on a huge number of projects and things, a huge variety of things, Uh, comic books, games, um, concept art for, you know, feature animation, TV animation, um, film, all sorts of stuff and even though the amount of money I got paid for doing the seven pirates book was kind of like not that great compared to a lot of the other things I can still look at this book and again I've created other books after this that probably the art is better but you know, there's something nice. I will always have this book. It'll always be here. I have a bunch of copies. I can show my kids this book, right? It will always be here and it's always special. And I think... There's something about that, that you just can't buy. You just can't sort of, you know, have that thing any other way. It's something where the final product is, you know, much greater than the sum of its parts, than the experience, than the work that went into it. Again, hard to explain, but you know, as I said, I know I'll always have this thing. I'll be able to show it to everyone and it'll always be special. It was the first book that I ever created and it reminds me of all of those things. Again, i worked on other projects, but there's something about having that physical book. Anyway, I think that's all we got time for on this particular episode. I feel like I have ranted and raved nonstop about a variety of things. So apologies if this has gone on too long let me know if this kind of storytelling about how I got, you know, these sort of particular projects off the ground helps you in some way. Again, you know, I feel like for a lot of people who are struggling with these issues, it might be good to kind of hear all these details and really kind of have this stuff hashed out. So that's my hope anyway. But let me know what you think in the comments down below or send me an email if you're listening on podcast platforms. And other than that, I'll catch you around on the next one.